Some of you have uh, posed some theological questions for me, and I think everyone who would uh, have any measure of understanding would issue a disclaimer at the start that uh, answers to theological questions, especially because they're they're uh, good questions. Some of them have very open-ended kind of answers. Some of them are perhaps a bit controversial, depending upon uh, your own understanding of, uh, of the Bible. Uh, I will do my best to answer the questions and uh, hope that I don't uh, begin any great controversies. Uh, on the other hand, you can't avoid, avoid controversy with some of these excellent questions. The first question I was given was, why was the snake in the garden to begin with? Now, I don't know who thought of that question, but I think it's all rooted in the makeup and personality of God as he has revealed himself to us. The God of the Bible is a God who is by nature love, and it is impossible to love without having choice. You must be able to choose in order to love. And the existence of uh, Satan, who came into the garden in the form of a snake, is uh, a story of the beings that were created before the world was created, and uh, of one of those beings who rebelled against God because he had choice. So the reason the snake was in the garden is that God is a God of love and allows us and wants us to choose to love him, but we don't always do that, and everyone doesn't always do that. Now, why were Adam and Eve banished instead of the snake? Well, the covenant God made with Adam and Eve was very specific to them. They were allowed to live in the garden and enjoy fellowship with God. The beautiful phrase in Genesis is that God would come and walk with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day in a beautiful relationship. It was Adam and Eve who broke that covenant, not, not the serpent, not the snake. So that is why Adam and Eve were banished from the garden. Why did Jesus die in our place to save the world if God is only going to destroy it in the future? Now, this is a great loaded question because there are different theological understandings and positions about what is going to happen in the future. We call the study of that eschatology. It's based on the word eschaton, which means last things. And there are people who believe that uh, the world is going to be destroyed because they interpret the Bible that way. I don't happen to interpret the Bible that way. Uh, I believe, uh, uh, although not strongly, because I think there's an open, uh, it's a possibility to be open to many different interpretations. We'll all find that out when it happens. But the truth is that uh, many people believe, and I tend to believe, that God is going to restore uh, the new heaven and new earth here in this world, and it is not part of his plan to destroy the world. How do we know the Bible to be true? Well, in the Salvation Army, uh, like many Protestant denominations, we accept what the Bible says about itself. 
The Bible says about itself that it is inspired, which means that it is God-breathed, and that it is authoritative for what we believe and how we live. And those are the reasons and the starting point for believing that the Bible is true. If you stop and think about it, if God is creator and we are creation, how would we possibly know about him unless he pulls the curtain back and tells us who he is and who we are and the purpose for our existence? And the Bible says of itself that that is where God has done exactly that. He's pulled the curtain back. And so we believe it is true. It certainly is a matter of faith. But we believe it because it consistently and powerfully teaches that in its uh, pages. What do you think people need to understand about what it is they're reading when studying the Bible that is often misunderstood? Oh, that's a good question. I think one of the things that uh, is often misunderstood is the teaching of the Bible about how it should be studied and examined. If you believe about the Bible that it is authoritative for us in terms of what we believe and, and how we live, then you will, uh, you will be looking for the original meaning of the text of the Bible. And that requires a great deal of study. I think the place where so many people become misled and misunderstand about the Bible is when their goal is not to recover that original meaning. And that involves serious study sometimes, understanding the context, understanding the speaker, uh, comparing any portion of the Bible with the rest of the Bible. Instead, what many people do today, which I think is very troubling, is they open the passage of Scripture, they'll read it, and then turn to one another and say, what do you think this means? And I'll be honest with you, I don't much care what you think that means. I care about what God's intent was and the original meaning from the text was. And that requires us to do what we're told to do in 1 Timothy, and that is... Uh, to study to show ourselves approved unto God, workmen that don't need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. All right, can a Christian lose their salvation? Now that's what we call a doctrinal question because there are in the realm of Christendom two large groups of people who follow two uh, large bodies of of systematic teaching. We call that doctrine or systematic theology. And one of those systems uh, insists that you cannot lose your salvation. And it has its own places in the Bible that teach and that would tend to support that position. There's another very large segment. They're, they are roughly, uh, probably 50-50 uh, or 60-40 percent in the millions of and tens of millions of Christians around the world. So both of these positions are held by many spirit-filled believing Christians. Uh, the other 
doctrinal position is that Christians can lose their salvation. Now, I am Wesleyan and Arminian in my theology, which means that I do accept the teaching that uh, a Christian can choose to take themselves out of relationship with God. It is not something that happens easily. It is something which is a major repudiation of what they have previously accepted and believed. But there are many passages in the Bible, including several warning passages in the book of Hebrews, that seem to make it clear to those of us who believe that you can lose your salvation, that we are to be wary of that danger and for that reason to continually seek the Lord with all our heart and mind and strength. Do we need to believe that all events in the Bible are literal to be a Christian? Certainly not to be a Christian. I don't think that particular belief is critical to being a Christian or not being a Christian. However, I strongly believe that to not understand the different kinds of literature there are in the Bible, many of which are to be taken literally, and just as many are kinds of literature like apocalyptic literature or poetry or even uh, parts of the gospel and uh, uh, certain teachings that by definition are not literal, I think it's very important that uh, you understand what should be taken literally and what should not. Part of the reason is the nature of the literature. And uh, I would say that people can get in a lot of theological quandaries if they do insist on taking literal, for example, the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation is what we call apocalyptic literature. By nature, it is not to be taken literally. It is written to be an encouragement. It uses many figures of speech, uh, and it is designed to encourage believers in a time when they are, are under suppression and are being attacked. And that kind of literature should never be taken literally. If God is a God of love and forgiveness, why does hell exist? Well, that's a common question, isn't it? I think especially young people uh, try to wrap their uh, minds around that question, and it doesn't get any easier for some people, uh, even as we get older. But I would go back to what I shared with you before. And that is that if God is love, then the dictum of Scripture is that there cannot be a love of what is good without a corresponding hatred of what is evil. So God has to, if he is holy, he has to hate what is unholy. If he is righteous, he has to hate what is unrighteous by definition. And uh, that would be my answer to the existence of a place of punishment for those who are resistant and defiant toward God and do not respond to his love uh, in a meaningful way. How do we as Christians navigate tension in politics? Well, if I said about an earlier question that it was loaded, uh, that pales in comparison to this question. Uh, very much on, in our own American culture uh, scene right now and in uh, 
Christianity, the question of politics and its place <clears throat> for Christians and for denominations is uh, very, very prominent. I believe that uh, the purpose of Christians, once we have come to know Jesus as our Savior, is to live out and share the gospel and to take into the world the values of the kingdom of God. That is the purpose of the church, and that is our calling, because we, we march to a different drummer. We have a set of values that are rooted in what God has revealed in his word, and the values of the kingdom of God should guide us in our living, and we take that into the broader world as we live among those who aren't Christians, and God uses that to uh, bring people to an interest and an understanding in why we live that way. So by definition, to become involved in politics apart from living out the values of the kingdom is a very dangerous thing for a Christian. So my answer today would be, what is primary in a Christian's life is that we live as a different nation, a nation without borders. Uh, we live in a kingdom that is not a natural or political kingdom. It is the kingdom of the reign of God in the lives of believers, and we have a set of values that are taught in God's word, that are the real guideline by which we live. And I would caution any Christian at putting any political affiliation or position ahead of that in their lives. And the last question, what do you see God doing today that you are most excited about? I believe there is an openness in the most recent generations, an openness to understanding and asking the basic questions about the meaning of life and why I am here. And because God has given the church his Holy Spirit who indwells all Christians, he can be at work successfully wherever there is an interest in what's life really all about. And it's the gospel that gives the answers to those questions. That's what excites me today about the possibility of living for Christ in a very uh, pluralistic and diverse world. Well, that's been uh, an interesting time and an interesting set of questions. I hope uh, my answers have been helpful and I would be more than interested in your response. Uh, to any of those questions as well. God bless you. Thanks so much for listening, and we'd love to hear from you. Share your thoughts, questions, or prayer requests. Visit us at SalvationArmySoundcast.org slash holiness. And if you're enjoying this Bible study, share it with a friend. They can subscribe wherever they get their podcasts.